It's good to see you this morning. Thanks, Tim. Wonderful song there. I heard the last one. I was over at um, our East Campus preaching this morning uh, in between the two services here, and that's the reason I'm kind of coming in, well, very late. But um, uh, things went well over there, and I had a chance to visit also with, uh, with Brandon and uh, Redemption Hill Church and just wanted to send uh, their regards and their hello. Uh, things going well there as, as well. And uh, had a great time uh, visiting with them last weekend. Uh, Jeremy Good did a great job uh, preaching uh, last week, did he not? And uh, heard the message myself and uh, did a wonderful job and uh, shared his heart, his testimony, and I appreciate that so much of what uh, he's going through. Now, tonight, we're going to close out the series of uh, messages on angels and demons. And what we're going to be looking at, the, more of the angels tonight. Uh, some of you may be getting tired about the demons and uh, maybe getting too close to home. I don't know. But uh, the angels tonight and how they, what role they play in our death as well as the second coming of Christ as well. We'll be looking a little bit at the book of Revelation again. Now, as we open um, this series of messages this morning at the book of Habakkuk, uh, you might want to turn in there right now if you haven't already or get it up on your iPhone, iPad. And uh, because it may be a little difficult to for you to find, it's right after the book of Nahum and right before the book of Zephaniah. If you go to Matthew, you've gone too far, and so go back to the left there in your Bible. I want us to all follow along in the Scriptures this morning as we start a series of messages, four messages, through the, uh, these three chapters in this little book. And as we do, um, Jeremy did do a great job last week, and he shared with you the story of his mom, and also, he asked the question, what do we want to know when tragedy happens to us, when pain really becomes personal? Well, we want to know why. Why, God, is this happening to me? Why is this happening right now? And really what we're saying to God is this, God, I just want you to fix it. Am I right? Somebody give me an amen. You know, hey, look, I've got a prodigal daughter, a prodigal son, prodigal parent. And, uh, you know, I, I was talking to a counselor not too long ago, a counselor friend of mine. And he said, you know, if I could just uh, have a stadium, I could fill it, fill with people of good Christian parents who's one of their children, usually it's just one, but ha they've, they've gone the way of the world. I could put prodigals in the middle of a stadium and fill it up. And I just thought, wow, that's, that's really saying something. And, you know, what he was saying is basically he said this, every, every family has one, right? And if you don't believe your family has one, chances are you're the one. <laughs> you know, you're it. And so, uh, you know, we, we look at that. We also look at, you know, old age, for example. Um, and I'll let you know when I get there. But um, my dad, who I visited, is almost 90 years old, he has dementia or Alzheimer's. And you think to yourself, you know, God, why? I mean, you think that a person, as they get older, is going to deteriorate physically. But what about mentally? Why can't you just go into his brain somehow and just fix it? God, we've got a lot going on. For example, in our nation. You know, we look at our nation and we understand that from 1900 to about 1950, there were hard times. We had two world wars the Great Depression, and people were not real optimistic about their lives. Now, from 1950 on to about the year 2000, and even a little bit beyond, 
um, we find a lot of optimism. A lot of great things were happening. But since the year 2000, since the turn of the century, we've had, what, 9-11? We've had a lot of other terrorist attacks, have racial tensions. We have a lot of rebellion going on uh, in our world, not just among our teenagers or college students. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't even look like rebellion like it did in the 60s and 70s. It looks like something else in our life. I mean, we look like we've dropped in, but there's still some, some things that are just not satisfying that we're going through in life. And so as we're looking at this, we're surprised sometimes by how God responds to our prayers and how God responds to the situations in life. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached a series, a great English preacher of um, the last century, preached a series of messages on Habakkuk. I haven't read them yet, but here's what he said about those. He said, on preaching on the book of Habakkuk, he said, if we understood the message of Habakkuk, we would never be surprised at all what happens in the world. Now, that's a big statement. And as we open up this book, we need to know that we don't understand, we don't know anything about Habakkuk except what's in this book. Now, he prophesied and wrote this book around 640 B.C., 640 years before the birth of Christ. And he was a contemporary prophet of a man by the name of Jeremiah. You may have heard of him. He's one of the, what we call the major prophets in the Bible. He's got about 50 chapters, and Habakkuk only has three. But this little book of Habakkuk, as he was prophesying, is like a book of Job. Even though he looks at things and trials in life totally different. In fact, he's coming to God with kind of in your face, a little confrontation. He's been praying a long time. He's been prophesying a long time exactly what God wanted him to do, and nothing is happening. God, I don't understand it. God, can't you just fix it? Now, that's what he was saying. I'll give you a little background here. What's going on in the nation of Israel? And I think you need to at least get a little glimpse of this before we go on into the book. During the reign of Solomon, Solomon died. David, Solomon was the son of David. He had David as king. Then you had Solomon, his son. And then you had Rehoboam, who took over when, at Solomon's death. But there was rebellion with Rehoboam, and the kingdom split in two. There was the northern kingdom, which took on the name Israel, and the southern kingdom, which took on the name of Judah. So sometimes you read in the Bible about Judah, 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 you know, all this about the, uh, about the nation of Judah. You understand that it's not, it's, it's not the same as the nation of Israel. It's after the division, and they are the southern kingdom. Well, after the split, the northern kingdom had 19 kings before the Assyrians took over. None of them were good. And the promise in the Bible is this. The nation of Israel, hey, if you follow me, God says, I'll bless you. If you don't, I'll curse you. Now, that's just what it says. And now the northern kingdom did not follow God at all. They were far away from God. <clears throat> and so the Assyrians came in 100 years before the book of Habakkuk was written and just completely took over the northern kingdom and spread them out all throughout the world, the Roman Empire, or the known world at that time. Not the Roman Empire, but the known world at that time. Now, Habakkuk was saying, hey, doesn't Judah get it? Why can't they learn just 100 years ago the northern kingdom fell and now the southern kingdom's involved in the same sin? Because in the southern kingdom, there were 20 kings, not 19, but 20. Eight of them were good. Twelve of them were evil. And every time they had a good king, God would bless the nation. Every time they had a bad king, God would not bless the nation at all. Now they were coming to a point of 
a time where something had to happen. Now, Josiah was the king right before this book, not too long before this book was written. Now, Josiah was an evil guy, but he discovered the Bible. He discovered the law, and he found it, and uh, it was just kind of tucked away. He, he brushed the dust off of it, began to read it, changed his life. The Old Testament, first five books, changed his life. He wanted to bring revival in the whole nation of Judah, but they would kind of have none of it. They just gave lip service to it. So when he died, his son Jehoiakim took over and took the people right back in what he was raised in, right back into the filth, right back into sin. And that's where we pick up the book of Habakkuk. And as we look at this, we, we need to understand that Habakkuk was asking the same questions that you and I are asking. Why not? Why God? And I just don't get it. Could you just fix it? I don't get it. Why don't you just come with a sweeping revival all throughout the nation? So here's what we're seeing. Number one, our question. Number two, God's answer. And, and number three, our challenge here in the first 12 verses of the book. Our question, look in verse one. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now he was seeing something. It was all about first four verses, what he was seeing. And it says the oracle or burden. The Hebrew word burden and it was used 27 times of the prophets. And so this is a burden on his heart. And he was writing this burden. He said, I saw something. Oh, Lord, how long? We'll look at that more next week. How long should you wait? How long do you need to wait? How long shall I cry for help? Now, this, you and I have maybe been in uh, prayer services before, and we're very dignified in our prayer time and all that. But sometimes when you get privately, you just cry out to God. And this was the word for scream. He was screaming out to God. This was not his first prayer. He'd been praying a long time. And he's wondering, how long do I have to keep praying about this? How long is this going to go on? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Notice it says, I cry for help and you will not hear. Oh, or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity or sin? And why do you idly look at wrong? God, he's saying, look, I know you're not dead, but are you deaf? Can you not hear at all? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. This comes from um, the idea of your leg going to sleep, and it becomes useless. You can't, you can't even use it. He says the law is paralyzed because of no one's following it, and the court system, look, he says, and justice. This, this is more than just what we think about social justice and about feeding the hungry and, and making all things right. This has to do all the way through the court system. The poor would go into court, and the rich would just uh, demoralize the poor and take everything because there was no justice in the land. He says, the paralyzed justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now, as we look at this, you, you automatically think, oh, the prophet was really upset because there's a foreign nation coming in and really influencing the nation of Judah. And God, he's, pre, he's preaching now against that nation, and God would save the nation of Israel. Wrong. That's not it at all. He's preaching about the sin of Judah itself. He's saying this, God, you said you're going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. They are cursing you. 
and I've been preaching about sin. I've been preaching about repentance. I've been praying that a revival would sweep through here. Why don't you fix it? What are you going to do about it, God? You're just letting them get by with sin. You're letting them get by with everything. Now, we need to be careful here, by the way. Uh, we don't look at the United States as being uh, of America as being the new Israel. Some people do that, and they get that nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. Uh, we are not the nation of Israel, the new Israel. In fact, if anything is the new Israel, it's, it's the church as a whole, not one country. Now, this, this pa these passages can apply to any nation. They can apply to any church or the church as a whole. But I'm hoping that we can look, look at our own heart and see how they apply to us. But he's saying, he's crying out, how long? All this is paralyzed. Basically, what he's saying is, God, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I've been praying. I've been praying. Now, in review, what are the three possible answers to prayer? Yes, no, something better, and wait. Now, there's a fourth answer, and it's a no answer. That answer is, I'm not even listening. Why? Because of the sin in the camp, because of the sin in our life. James Dobson tells a story about a lady who was promiscuous in her relationship. She got pregnant, and she asked the good doctor, why did God allow this to happen to me? Now, what she was saying was, a lot of people are promiscuous in their sexual activity, and they don't get pregnant. Why me? Not looking at, at maybe her own life. Boom Boom Mancini, who uh, killed a, um, an Asian fighter in the ring months later, was asked the question about it, and he said, yeah, I don't know why God allowed that, those kind of things to happen totally disconnecting himself from the cause. Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist says, If I cherished iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Behold, the Lord's hand in Isaiah is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. You know, sometimes it's us. That's what he's saying. Sometimes it's us, and it can be slow and moving and very gradual. George Barnum, and if you ever read his books, you know, be prepared for a lot of depression. But George Barnum is, is a statistical um, genius, Mr. Survey, and he's saying basic, he said this basically 10 years ago, and he's still saying it today. The church lives very differently, or, or very, excuse me, very much the same as the world lives. In other words, Christians and non-Christians pretty much live in the same way. One's going to church, one's not going to church. Well, in fact, sometimes they go to church, sometimes they don't. But basically, they, they are kind of, a, you know, affiliated with God in some way, and, and the others are not. And you say, well, yeah, we're just trying to identify with our, our, with our culture, and I appreciate that. But sometimes, you know, you go so far and you think, uh, the, the person outside of Christ thinks, well, why in the world should I, would I, would I join up with them? They're just like me. I need answers, and they don't seem to have it. But that's what he's saying, and it's like the frog in the kettle. You know, it gets, it, it gets um, you throw a frog in a boiling hot um, pail, a pan of water, and it jumps right out. But if you put it in the cool water, and it begins to heat up very slowly, they get used to it, they don't realize what's happening, and they boil to death in the water. You've been in places before. You walk in to a place, a business even, and you think, man, why don't they realize there's some trash here? There's some crates here. Every time I come into the store, the same crates are there. I mean, it could be the same way with your home. You think everything's great. Somebody walks in, they immediately they know. Why don't you notice that? Because it's too familiar. 
you know, your, your car maybe is kind of junky and, and everybody sees that, but, but you don't see it because a little bit of the time has happened. And we know that happens to our life. So he's saying basically here, he's saying that can happen to our life. And he says, God, just fix it. Why don't you send a great revival? That's what we want. Why don't you take my prodigal son, prodigal daughter, and just lead them to Christ, put people in their life. They just come to Christ and, and just, just fix them, for crying out loud. Some of you teenagers, hey, fix my parent. Fix them. They don't understand what's going on. And sometimes we don't. Fix the problem, God. That's what I want you to do. I don't understand it when you don't. So what is God's answer? Look in verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Psalm 127, 2. I love this verse shared a few weeks ago. It is vain that you rise up early and go to, uh, to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, in the original Hebrew, in some of your translations, it reads, he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. See, God's blessing even when we're sleeping, if we're following him. But here, God's at work all the time. That's what he said. I'm, I'm doing work all the time. You may think I'm sleeping. You may think I'm deaf. I'm always doing the work. He says this. He says, if I'm doing the work in your days that you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. He says, you, would, you wouldn't understand, Habakkuk, even if I told you what was going on. Notice what happens in verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's, that's Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And to give you a little geography there, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They're quick. They're powerful. They all come for violence. Now, this word violence, three times in this passage, is the word Hebrew word Hamas. Does that ring a bell? terrorist group. It means a cutting violence. It's a figurative term. It means they just slash people. It's violent. And their faces forward, they gather captives, captives, think about that, like sand. Well, it goes on. As kings, they scoff. As at rulers, they laugh. They laugh at kings and rulers. They laugh at their fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep like the wind and go on, guilty men, whose own might is their God. They were saying, oh, we're God. Nobody can stop us. First, they, they capture places like Asher, and then Nineveh. And boy, when they captured Egypt, big prize, they thought nobody can stop us now. And they looked at themselves like gods. And we can see that in the book of Daniel if you remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar and, the, and the Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and they threw them into the fiery furnace, we find that the reason they, they threw them into the fiery furnace, they would not bow down and worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. They looked at themselves as God. So understand, we're, we've got questions. Habakkuk had questions. Now, wait a minute, God. Are you telling me you're going to take a nation that is far worse than Israel ever thought about being? 
to correct and punish those who are not as bad, even though they're bad? Wow. Tough to understand. I don't get it. Why don't you just fix things? Why do you have to use another nation? Why do you have to, in spiritual warfare, use uh, demonic forces in our life to correct us and to bring our attention? Why don't you just, just fix it? Well, one man tells a story, and I'll, I'll try to um, maybe apply it a little bit better or, or differently here. But he, think about it for just a moment. If you had, we'll say, a four-year-old daughter, okay, not granddaughter because that would be a, you forget about the illustration there, but you had a four-year-old daughter, and she came up to you and said, Mommy, I want a cookie. And you look at her and say, well, it's before supper, honey. You cannot have a cookie right now. It'll, it'll kill your appetite, and you won't, eat, you won't eat your vegetables and all that. Okay, well, maybe she gets that. Maybe she does. But she starts bellowing with a big cry and whining and just to get you manipulated to give her a cookie. And so you do the parental thing. You explain it to her. Look, honey, there's sugar in that cookie and those little chocolate chips. That chocolate has caffeine in it. It'll keep you up at night. And the sugar will run through your bloodstream with all kinds of cholesterol, triglycerides. And it'll kill your appetite, and you won't want to eat the good food. Therefore, you're going to be going through malnutrition if you eat the cookie before supper. What would she do? <laughs> Sorry I asked. Do you have an ice cream? <laughs> you know? Now, the reason I say it's not the grand grandma and grandpa, you know, what they do. You know, how many you want? You know, just <laughs> hand them out. But as a good parent, you don't give her the cookie, but she doesn't understand it. Now, I want to ask you something. Isn't, aren't we not closer in spiritual and mental capacity to the four-year-old child than we are to God? The four-year-old child will one day learn about nutrition. I will never know what God knows. And a backup before Christ could never hope, know of the hope that was in the gospel of grace. Could never know it. Not really. The story in every single prophetical book is incomplete without Christ. Could not ever know it. And so here we are trying to think, okay, the, the little girl says, okay, look, I, I trust you. Therefore, okay, I'll quit whining about the cookie. But we look to God and say, okay, God, I don't understand. I don't get it. I'm a little mad about it. In fact, I'm just going to quit. One thing about Habakkuk. He was, he was crying out, screaming out to God. He was so tired of waiting, but quitting on God was never, ever a consideration, ever. And we'll tell you why in just a minute. But what happened here? Well, several things. Uh, let me just review a couple of things with you. Can you imagine what happened in Babylon just a few years later? or in, in, in Jerusalem a few years later, when parent, two parents, we'll just say, were grabbed up and tossed out of their home, placed on some, in some sort of caravan, and carried off to Babylon to be slaves. You think, wow, I bet you they had questions. I bet they did too. I bet you they had accusations. I bet they did too. But they had a little boy with them. 
and his name was Daniel. And you can read about him in the Old Testament. He's one of what they call the major prophets because the book's a little longer. We know a lot about the second coming of Christ and the, even the first coming of Christ because of the prophecies of Daniel. And what a statesman, what a testimony to three different regimes and different kings. Tossed into the lion's den, but we know that story because he kept his eyes on, on God. And what about the three Hebrew children that I mentioned a few moments ago, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and they were tossed in the fiery furnace. You know the song Mercy Me has, right? Even if, based on that passage in Daniel 3, it says, hey, look, if you toss us into the fiery furnace, God is more than able to save us, but even if he does not, our hope is still in Christ or still in God. We would have never known that, never known about that rippling effect that's taken place. In fact, what has happened after this, after the Babylons blew it and God punished them, eventually came along the Greek empire from all that conquering and conquering. The Greek empire came along, and that was so vital to the gospel because right then they adopted an economic language called Greek. And when Jesus came along with the gospel, he was able to preach in Greek to everyone. When the disciples were spreading the gospel through the Gentile nations, they preached in Greek because everybody understood it. And then the Roman Empire came along, conquered the Greeks, took their culture, took their language, their universal economic financial language, and they added peace to the pie. Pax Romano, peace throughout the known world Jesus could walk along preaching the gospel. The disciples could walk from place to place, ride on boats from place to place, unimpeded by war because the Roman Empire owned the world and there was peace. We would have never had that if God had not used this situation that we see. But other things, what about Romans 13? I mean, excuse me, Acts 13. In Acts 1, Jesus said... You will go and you will make disciples and evangelize all nations, Judea, Samaria, uh, uh, or rather Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Jerusalem was the first stop. Acts chapter 13, everybody's still in Jerusalem. There came a persecution, and that persecution sent people out all throughout the Roman Empire preaching the gospel. Can you imagine what was going on in their mind? Hey, look, God, I'm, I'm serving you. I'm doing the best I can, and now I'm being tossed out of my home. My family are, are nomads going to a new city, a new town. I can't believe you're doing this to us. No, God did it because they wouldn't spread out. He spread them out. China, speaking of missions, 1948, communism came in and took over China. And... Um, our missionaries left, and they said, boy, it's just, it's a mess now. The gospel's going to be killed. You know, they, they went in as missionaries, and they couldn't reach the population because they were already steeped in Confucianism and Buddhism and a couple of other different major religions as well. And so they couldn't penetrate the gospel because of their upbringing, their tradition. They couldn't leave their family values and their, and their family culture and religion to follow Christ. So they just had a spattering of Christians throughout the, the world. Communism came in 
And years later, it was opened back up again as far as people going to visit. And we expected to see no real believers in China. Instead, we saw house churches all over the land meeting in secret. What had happened? Communism came in and killed off, basically, Buddhism, a lot of it, and Confucianism, because it was against... It was against the law to have religion. The only ones that had religions are, religion are those who really had a true faith in Christ and a true faith, and so they were meeting in secret in homes. But it took communism to come in and kill the tradition. And now there are millions of Christians in China. And so how do we respond to this? Well, how did, how did he respond to it? How did Habakkuk respond? Look in verse 12. And we'll take up the rest of this passage next week. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord? My God, my Holy One, we shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Four things, real quickly. Number one, realize. Realize this. Just because suffering seems pointless to you does not mean it's pointless. Just because suffering seems pointless to you does not mean it's pointless. There was a story that Jim Simula tells about um, a lady by the name of Sphia Flood. Her and her husband went to uh, some of the tribes in the jungles and trying to reach them for Jesus. They had a baby while they were there, a little baby girl. And then when... um, the, um, the, a disease sort of hit the camps. His wife, Sevilla Flood, got a disease, and she died. He rebelled against the Lord, left the mission field, gave his newborn daughter up for adoption, and just drowned his sorrows in, in alcohol. The daughter, raised by someone else, was found by some of the people over in these tribes. And she was invited to a big celebration of her mother. Well, she didn't even know anything had gone on. And so, with reluctance, she didn't know what was going to really happen. She figured smattering of 50, 100 people in a tribe, maybe. But while, while the, the couple was over there in their brief time, they had led one teenager to the Lord, just one. And they left one convert in that tribe. Well, after her death, Sophia Flood's death, they buried her there in, among their tribes. This young man took it upon himself to preach the gospel. And when Sophia Flood's daughter went over and visited those tribes, there were tens of thousands of believers 20 years later in many, many different tribes around. Her mother was revered by all. She went back, found her dad, Stooped in alcoholism, near death, told, told him the story. And he began to cry, knowing that because he could not trust the Lord, and he thought his circumstances were pointless, he wasted his life. You don't know what God is doing. Secondly, remember, when you don't understand your circumstances, remember what you do understand about God. That's what Habakkuk was doing. Hey, God, you're everlasting. You're the Holy One. You've ordained. He begins to realize what he knows about God, the fact that he is 
omnipotent and omnipresent. He's everywhere. He knows all things. He's merciful. He's loving. What do you know about God? You know this. You know that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sins, so he's got to love you. God demonstrated his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thirdly, rest. We'll talk about more of that next week when we talk about waiting on the Lord. And then finally, receive. Receive the knowledge and insight God has chosen to reveal to you. He's doing something in your life. Is it a blind spot in your life that you just can't see? Is it a confession of something you know about? Is it a stronghold in your life that's keeping you from a relationship with God and a quality relationship with other people? Or is he just showing you something? I shared with you, uh, I guess a year ago, about riding home, or maybe two years ago, riding home, uh, or riding back from home to work after lunch. And I you know, had a trial in my life, and I was just thinking about it. And I started laughing to myself. I said, God, what have I been preaching about? It's not about me. It's about you. And he slapped me in the face. Boom, boom. You know, you ever been slapped by God? And uh, he slapped me in the face, so to speak. And um, he said, it is about you, Dwayne. It is about you. Now, it's about me, but it's about you. And even though everything that's happening around your life, everything of everybody you know is not directly hitting you, it is, it is indirectly affecting you, and I'm using all those things in your life to bring you to a place of being closer to me and more like me. And so it is about you. And so we look, and we realize that God's doing something in our life and you don't know what that is but like the little child okay mommy I don't understand anything about what you just said about nutrition but I trust you and we look to God and say God I, I don't know what, you're, what in the world you're doing and I don't know why you just don't fix it but I know you're at work I know you're about fixing it so God I trust you let me tell you a great story a lot of you, um, maybe you're old enough, some of you are not, to remember the Jesus movement. But it was really the closest thing to a great revival awakening that we've had in America in my lifetime. And um, two guys were meeting in Haight-Asbury in San Francisco. And they came out of that, you know, the hippie movement, you know. And uh, they, they had done all the drugs. They had done all the, the free sex. They had done everything that they wanted to do. And nothing met with any satisfaction. So they met that little coffee shop. And they started talking about, is there anything else? And out of rebellion, out of a drug culture, out of, out of that, that hippie movement, was born the Jesus movement in that coffee shop that day. And it affected millions of people. I was saved during the Jesus movement. Many were saved. Friends of mine saved during that Jesus movement. So God is still at work. What is he doing in your life? Maybe he brought you here today, and everything that's going on in your life, he's just affecting you directly and indirectly and indirectly and indirectly. And you think, wow, I've just got so much. Oh, God, why don't you just fix it? Because he doesn't want to fix it. He wants to fix you, and he wants to fix me. And so, what about you today? Does God need to use those things in your life to bring you to himself? Maybe you've never received Jesus in your life. 
And you know he died on the cross for you. And he died there because he was taking on the payment for your sins as well as mine. And the Bible says, if anyone received him, to them gave you the power to become the children of God. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, cry out to God, call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Are you ready to cry out to him today? Wouldn't you like to have Christ in your life with heads bowed, eyes closed? Maybe that's the prayer of your heart. I pray that it is. And so right now, as we get our hearts and lives quiet before the Lord, no one moving around, in the quietness of this moment, I'll ask you to pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. It goes like this. Lord God, I know that you love me and you've been doing a work in my life. You've been pointing me to Jesus. And I pray that you would take my sin away. Come into my life as I call on you. I pray that you can make me the person you want me to be and set me on that right path. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.